0: Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Dynamic Leader conversation. So, today's conversation is um, something that I think a lot of our listeners will um, get value out of, which is around recruitment and specifically what does attracting talent look like in 2023 with the scarcity of um, employees? Uh, And the demand for talent. Uh, I have an expert in the field, Marnie Jones, um, joining us today for the conversation. She began her career as a management consultant, um, but now runs her own company called TalentX, um, which is a unique unique and revolutionary uh, recruitment agency that boasts an 89% success rate for their 12 month retention guarantee. So keen to hear what the secrets are and what the leaders out there can do to ensure. That they're getting the right people um, for the right roles um, in the right time, I guess. But thank you jo- for joining us, Marnie. Thank you, Shelley. Thanks for having me. So um tell us about tell us about how you got into um the recruitment space, uh, particularly um given the challenges that come with recruiting. What was it that made you decide to join recruiting?
1: Well, I um As you mentioned, I I used to be a management consultant. So I had um, at one point we had 300 clients. I was was helping to run a consultancy firm, I had 300 clients across Sydney, Um, and I was involved daily with their businesses. And so I got to face the day-to-day challenges of hiring and something that we didn't help with at the time. Um, We did partner with a hiring, like a recruitment company at that time, and I just what during that whole process of using this, this other partner, I observed ways that I felt the hiring process could be improved and I would suggest it. And then they just wouldn't. And so, um, after a couple of years of that, I decided to just do some hiring for my clients on the side out of the goodness of my heart for when I look back, hilarious amounts of money, which is not much. And I would, I would, um, do it on the evenings and weekends. And, that just became so much that it was like my full-time job outside of my full-time job. And I sat there and I was like, do I want to be a recruiter? (laughs) Like, do I, do I want to do this and go down this route? And I thought our process is so unique and so different that I had enough of a point of difference that I felt I could really make it in recruitment because I'm quite realistic about markets and saturation and such. And, I was like, do I actually have something to offer businesses that is different and that can improve the way that they hire? And I felt like I did. And so in 2020, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. And it's also hiring is more scalable than management consulting. So I was also looking at my own future and my own scalability and being a one-on-one consultant. I mean, it's great, but it has its restrictions. So I thought,
0: I'm going to start my recruitment firm. <laughs> nice. You took the plunge. Um, And in 2020, all years. <laughs>
1: Yeah, August 2020, right in the middle of a lockdown.
0: Wow. Um, I guess if you're going to stretch yourself outside your comfort zone at any time, that was probably the best to do it, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, I guess I was a bit bored as well.
0: I was like, I hey, may as well see what happens. So good, I love that. What is, you talk about your unique approach. What's unique? Because you you sort of, I mean, those, um, the listeners that are going recruitment's recruitment. It's one of those mm-hmm. grinds. You've got to do it. It's a little bit annoying because no one likes to do it. It's one of those necessary things. What's unique about what you do? So I think people ask me,
1: you know, what's the, in order to answer that, I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about a little bit, the problem with hiring and the problem with recruitment that I solve with my process. I think, um, When you really look at the core of, of hiring as an issue, you realize that there are no, there's no consistent agreed upon objective workable hiring system. Like it's, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Like, have you ever heard, if you've ever hear about hiring expertise or talks or seminars, they offer basic interviewing techniques and they urge you to focus on your employer branding and they urge you to increase your wages that you can afford better talent. And they talk about like retain, retaining talent. And when you, when you really look into what those suggestions are, it's like, there seems to be workable, repeatable methods or approaches to just about any other industry or practice except hiring. And the only two universal consistencies with the way people hire is resumes exist and are checked and interviews are conducted. Not even ref checks are normal. Like ref checks, most people don't even bother with reference checks these days, um, so they're the only two consistencies with the way that we, people hire and that's it. And we both know that doing these two things, checking resumes and interviewing people has no guarantee of the candidate's suitability or the culture fit or performance. So what my approach is, is I have an actual system of hiring. So I have um, a funnel that candidates go through where specific steps are taken, no matter who the candidate is, whether it's someone who's applied for a, a graduate entry role or a CFO or a CEO or C-suite they go through the same process that screens out very specific parts of what is a good candidate and what does that look like and how do you know before you hire someone the likelihood they're going to work out in the role and how do we remove um, first impressions out of that because that's a huge part of what we do with hiring. We look at someone or we look at a resume and we go, they have a spelling mistake, so that means they mustn't care about their role, so I'm not even going to consider that person. So we remove a lot of these other ideas and we basically – get into what is a good candidate, how do you know what they look like and what they sound like. And then once we have a whole bunch of information around this person that seems amazing, we then do very thorough reference checking to verify that everything that they've claimed to be is correct. So it's it's a step-by-step process that that does that. And it's also as objective as it possibly can be, which is really important when you're hiring.
0: So when you talk about that, I immediately think, so I'm the candidate and you're putting me through a a much more rigorous um, Mm -hmm. screening process than anyone else. And there is an enormous amounts of roles out there with not enough people. So it's an employee market at the moment. Mm. Why should I go through your process when I can go through someone else's? um, That's such a good question. I love that question because, um, it's it's two things
1: I'll say. The first thing is that when done well, this process fits really naturally across your normal duration or, um, I guess, like steps of hiring. It seems like more steps are added, but for the candidate, not necessarily. So for example, instead of interviewing them with questions like, what is your career goals and what are your strengths and weaknesses and um, what attracted you to the role or what knowledge can you bring to this position? Instead of questioning like that, there is a very specific questioning method that determines their actual value that they added to previous roles and therefore their likelihood of adding value to this role in this company. So when you weave it into the interviewing process for them, they don't really notice. It's different. They're like, oh, this is a different line of questioning I've had. But when it's done with, you know, warmth and, and such, it's not. it doesn't come across as this like uh, excruciating process for them where they feel like they're being put through the ringer. Um, and the other thing I'll say, so that's the first thing is that it's weaved quite naturally into it. And our process takes on average quicker than the average hire for a recruiter, just so you know, as well, like we take on average, I should find the stat, I shouldn't just spit things at you. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the average day to fill a role is like 60 to 80 days or something. 82 days. There's a stat from, um, that was a LinkedIn stat in um, released last year and it said it takes an average of 82 days to fill a vacant position it takes us an average of 40 days at the moment um, so it also doesn't increase the duration it just increase it does increase the workload of the hire like there's a lot more you have to do in the background to get it right but for the candidate it's it's quite quick that's the first thing i'll say the second thing i'll say is that when you um advertise the role really well And you interview them in a very specific way and you really find a way to hook into what the candidate really wants, they would gladly jump through hoops for the role. And that's what we found is quite interesting is that when they read our ads, they go, I have never read an ad like this. This is exactly what I'm looking for. I feel like you wrote the ad exactly for me. And so they might have other offers, but they're like, I actually want this role. Like, can you please let me know? Like, they're chasing us. Like, can you let me know, uh, do I have the next thing? Because I've got this other offer, but I really want this role just purely because of the way that the job ad was written Mm. and obviously their impression of us when we first speak to them, which should be lovely and pleasant for them.
0: And so then the question um, that comes to me is, are you, creating, are you creating something that doesn't necessarily reflect because this is the other challenge is does the role, the advertisement actually reflect the reality of it? Because I know there's, um, you know, lots of really great kind of shiny opportunities out there and it sounds great. And it's like, this is a game changer. This, <laughs> this is like my whole, my whole life has been waiting for this. And then you get into the role and it's like, oh, that's really upsetting. Um, how do you... Oh, I, I so agree. I so agree. I think um, just so you know, with us, with our clients, we
1: actually do a team audit with the whole company before we do long-term hiring. We might do a role at the start for a client um, just to test it out and test working it, working with each other. But if you want to work with us long-term, we audit your whole business. And the reason why we do that is to get under the hood and to figure out what's actually going on and, and what your culture is like. But the funny thing is when I say the ad, we include the good, the bad, and the ugly. And for some reason, it attracts the person who's like, oh, my God, this is so refreshing. And this sounds like a challenge. And this sounds like, you know, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And, like, like for example, we did a CFO ad, and I, and, the, and the, the company is quite unorganized. The owner's quite erratic. He has 13 different companies. He changes his mind every day, like 50 times a day. And I wrote that in the ad. And I was Beautiful. like, this is what it's like to work with this guy. This role's really hard. Um, We don't even know if it can be done, that kind of angle, Um, but you're really bored and you're sick of like the same mundane stuff all day, every day, and you want something different. And this job went viral. Like we had messages on LinkedIn from other CFOs who didn't apply, who were sent from other CFOs because they're all in this, I don't know, they must all be friends or something. And one guy was like, this is the most incredible ad I've ever read. One guy applied, he was on 500 grand a year. And he was like, I had to apply for this ad because I'm so freaking bored in my job. Like this is exactly the job that I want. So we need to remove the idea that you don't, if you want to talk about benefits all the time in your ad and all the shiny good things, you're going to get self centric people. You're going to get people who want benefits and who want high pay and who want to make sure they have work flexibility, but they don't want to be pushed too hard. And that's not really my job, Shelly. I don't really do that, but I'm going to, you know, this is not in my job description. And you get these people who are self centric. When you highlight the challenges, And the truth of it, you get challenge-motivated group-centric people, role-centric people, career-centric people. So it's funny because you think that for me to attract these people that I'm talking about benefits all the time, but I'm not. If you read every normal ad, they they highlight benefits. We don't. We, We talk about why you shouldn't maybe get the role. So it's ironic because we get up to three times more applicants than normal ads, by the way, but we also end up repelling people. Like some candidates message us like, you shouldn't have this in your ad. This should be illegal. And we're like, good. We just repelled you because we wrote the truth of it. Like we're not going to sugarcoat this role. This owner's really hard to work with. Like we had the same owner had four EAs not work out in one year. And he said, if you can hire me an EA, I'll be sold on your process. And I was like, all right. So I wrote an ad and I wrote in the ad, he's had four EAs not work out in one year. And his HR manager called me and he said, you have to take the ad down. It makes him look bad. And I was like, no, I'm not taking the ad down. He's like, you have to take it down. And I'm like, if he wants me to take it down, he can call me. So he called me from Dubai. He's like, "Money, you have to take the ad down. And I was like, Sam, I'm not taking the ad down. I refuse to take the ad down. And he's like, but it makes me look bad. I'm like, but it's the truth. So if you're going to get someone, they're going to find out within a month of getting there anyway that you already had. You may as well tell them now. And we we didn't have as many applicants for this role. I think we had like 30. And one of them who applied was like, oh, my God, this was my last CEO. He had, he had three or four that didn't work out. This is the role for me. I love that. She loved the idea of being the one that made it when three others or four others couldn't. And she, within a year, ended up being a partner of one of his companies. He promoted her to being a partner and he told me that, she was so good if I hired her quote, 10 wrong people, he'd still use me because she was that good. So it's the ad is not necessarily the shiny bright thing, as you say, because I absolutely agree. That's dishonest. Actually, you have to be very honest about the company. You have to be honest about the role and how hard it is. And then you're m- much likely to find someone that's like, oh, this is written for me. And then they'll, they'll put up with a longer process if, if they love it.
0: So how many leaders out there have um, swallowed enough of their ego that they can go, yeah, I'm okay to. <laughs>
1: not Not many. That's why we do the audit. That's why I rewrite it as well. And they, they read it and they go, Oh, okay. No, no, actually, no, I will say most of my clients love it. They're like, no, I love it. It's very fresh and very honest. And also we also talk about the good things because we're the third party. So often I'll ask for a quote from the owner or the CEO and I'll be like, why should someone accept this role? Why should someone accept this role over another role? And then I quote what they say in it. And I'm like, we asked the CEO what, why they think that you should take this role over another. And you know, they, they write honest things like we don't have the highest pay, but because they say that they don't know that I'm going to quote them. So they just talk honestly to me. And they might be like, we don't have the highest pay, but I will definitely, if they are good at their job, they can be the CEO if they want. And I know that they're the client type of client that would be like that. So as long as it's the truth, it it tends to just penetrate. Because go go and read ads right now. Go and if you're tiring for a role, go on to seek and and look for the title that you have and you will find the same shit in every ad. It'll be like at Talent X, we pride ourselves, blah blah blah, and then we'll be like, to to be successful, you must have, and then we list. You know, it's just it's not it's not exciting and it's not fresh and it's not true, and so it just doesn't penetrate as much as ours do. So we've just found the knack for it, and it just, yeah, our our seek our seek account manager was like, you need to stop writing ads like that because it's it's growing with the algorithm because we don't just write titles. We might add other things in the titles. And then she's like, let me look at your stats. And she pulled up the stats and, she, and you know, it turns out that we have um 20% more views in jobs. I'm reading it now, two times more um, clicks and three times more applicants. And she's like, actually, don't worry about it. You guys have really high-performing ads. So you just got to kind of go with what works. And we've just found that when you write a really exciting ad, like you got to view it the same way as like digital marketing. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't write a Google ad. If you had three different types of people who could buy your service, you wouldn't write a Google ad to those three people and be like, either you could buy it or you could buy it or you could buy it. You write three different ads to those three different target markets. And that's the same with ad writing. So if you really want to reach the per- your ideal person, you need to write ads to the different types of people who could do the role. For example, you might have your ideal person, who has all the qualifications you want, who's been in the role for five years, who has the title, blah, blah, blah. Good, write an ad for that person. But then write an ad for someone who's maybe just underneath that title, who wants to move up, who is basically really amazing at their job, doesn't have as much experience, but has proven track record of, of being incredible. And they've just keep getting promoted in all their career. And you can write it like that. You've been promoted in every role that you've got. You basically run the show. You just don't have the title yet. And you're looking for a new challenge. And you, you're, really, you're really willing to learn and work hard, put the hard yards in to get this role to write it like that, or a mom returning from work and be like, and maybe like, actually I would consider a mom who's, who's willing to work from 10 till three for this role for the first year anyway. So why don't you just write to someone who's returning from work? You know, you've been out of the workforce. You're a little bit nervous. You're looking for a company that has work flexibility, who trusts you and you can ease back into the workforce. And, and then you write through those three different ads, those three different types of people. That's where the magic kind of comes through and you really get, cause yeah, you can't have a shotgun approach. You need like a, like a sniper approach.
0: I love that. I love that even from a diversity and inclusion perspective as well is that, you know, if I can create the four, five, six avatars of what I want my team to be made of and then go through and go, well, of those avatars, what have I got? And then when I'm recruiting, um, this is what I need to consider. And then, and I think, and I get so excited about that. And then I go, but recruiting for a leader is a drain because I didn't want this person to go. I didn't want to have to be recruiting. And so I'm here. Can we just get it done? Can we, so how do you, um how do you fight the, or how do you deal with the complacency and even the apathy that often comes with uh, leaders just needing to get it done, just need to get it done. And I know maybe not at the, the exec level, because they're a lot more, I don't know maybe not important, but, um, they tend to have a little bit of a different focus There's a longer lead time. Up, um, uh, so yeah, what do you do at that? Like I'm doing this all the time. I just need to get out and get it done. Look, I
1: think it's back. My comment would be back to the method and the, the approach, like it's very easy to skip steps. People think, oh, I'll just do the hiring. And then they start doing it. And people don't realize how much work goes into hiring, just the sheer volume of communication and that you receive, let alone all the effort. Like if you get 50 applicants, you're going to interview 50 applicants. So then you're forced to use a resume. For example, I guess what I'd say is that I wouldn't ever cut any corners or make it choppier. I would instead focus on, 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 making sure you have a process that objectively gets you your best chance of getting a candidate and just really maintain a high standard of that because it's very easy to cut corners and stop things and be like, well, I'm not even going to look at these other 10 resumes because I already like this one. And then you interview them and they're nice enough and they have enough experience and you think, okay, good. And then they dress well and you go, yeah, I'll just hire them. So you end up, you end up like not, um, I guess, being as much of a, um, I don't want to say professional, but I suppose it's kind of like imagine cutting corners as an accountant. And it's like hiring is such a high cost, as we all know. We don't even need to talk about the cost of hiring and the the cost of losing staff. I think that's why I really push for like, do what can you say that your hiring system is? Is it is it reading a resume? Because this is the other thing. People use their preconceived ideas to hire. Like, for example, I had a business owner tell me he'd never hire a woman with small dogs. Because, quote, I hired two women with small dogs and both of them were terrible. So now I don't hire women with small dogs. And you're laughing. But then I had another guy who said, I don't hire. He was hiring a GM. He's like, I need to know what the profession of the candidate's parents was. I'm like in shock. Um, Look at my face. Shelly, you can see my face. Because that makes it different to the type of candidate, whether they're public servants or self-made or professionals. And I was just like, oh, my God. And then another business owner said she hired a GM because her lipstick was bright. So she thought, quote, she must be bold, so I'm going to hire her as a GM. She ended up being toxic and destroyed her business. So we use these ideas that we build over our, quote, experience. Like I'm not going to hire blondes because Marnie was a blonde and I hired her and she was atrocious. I'm, You know, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. That's also a lie, by the way. You pay peanuts, you get monkeys bullshit that's not true i would say 95 percent of the candidates we place are the cheapest but that enters into another problem as a side thing is that we don't charge commission so we're not invested in finding the most expensive person which is why we can find cheaper stuff as well which i think is a problem in recruitment but that's just a side little stab i'll I'll just leave that there um but you know we have other ideas like they're young so they don't know what they want or they have a spelling mistake in their resume so they mustn't be professional enough that's not true either the more number of years in a role equals a better candidate not true so then when you when you really list out all of these weird ideas that we have, which I don't blame people because it's the only thing we have because all we have is a resume and the interviewing. So what else are we going to use other than their appearance and what we? the last person we hired who came from this company was crap, so let's not hire this person. So when you think about it, it's insane, these ideas that we use to hire. So the focus needs to be what is an objective way? Like I'll give you an example. I hired a junior for me. I hired her without even knowing what she looks like. I was in America at the time. I interviewed her on the phone she sounded great. She was like, it was graduate entry role. We we're training them up. We had like 450 applicants. Cause it was, a, we put traineeship on the title, by the way. So if you ever want a junior and you want lots of applicants put, t- put traineeship in the title. And then I checked her Facebook after I hired her and she was like this gorgeous young, you know, fake lips, fake hair, st- sitting on a car bonnet, Instagram model type. Now I would And I had to stop myself from having my own preconceived ideas because if I had me, who uses my own hiring objective system, seen her, I would have been like, is she the best for our culture? Because that's not what I'm like, right? But I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to apply my own system. I did did this objectively based on her past um, performance and her past and her personality profile, which we profile people on. And then we ref checked her and they came back brilliant. So I was like, I'm going to hire her. And she was one of our best staff. She's moved on now. She moved to America for a marketing, um, uh, like a sponsorship thing. But she was great and she was hilarious and she was playful and she was hardworking and she was like, what, what can I take off your plate and what can I do? And she would work late hours and all these things that you would assume looking at her, she was also only 21 or something, you'd assume that she would not be those things. So even I have to stop myself, but then people sitting here go, well, how do I not use these ideas? Uh-huh, that's why I'm saying you need a hiring system. So you remove all of the subjective stuff out of it because you can't use these subjective things. That's like, imagine dating like that. I dated someone from Bathurst once, so now I don't date people from Bathurst, which is what we do. I dated a blonde and she was crazy, so I don't date blondes anymore. And so I just urge people to remove these ideas and then replace it with an objective workable hiring system, which is why we're so different because that's what we offer. Because recruiters fall on the same thing. What else do recruiters use? They use the same ideas. They use the same first impressions and resumes. And so even recruiters aren't immune, which is why I'm I'm not really a recruiter in a way in a typical sense. But yeah.
0: You're a marketer, of, a marketer of people.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> true,
0: true. I'm a marketer
1: and I'm a screener. That's actually the truth. I'm a marketer and I'm a screener. So I screen people and I market people. And the funny thing is we find ways to tell clients not to hire people. We've had people that we've put forward that the client was so happy about. We felt good about. And then because they were getting offered other roles, we gave them an offer before we start ref checks. And in the contract, it says, if you fail ref checks, we still may fire you before you start. Always put that in there so that you can have them keep moving. So we start, we hired them, gave them an offer, did the ref checks, didn't pass like badly didn't pass. And then I called the client. I'm like, I can't give you this person. And that was 25 grand for me. I could have invoiced that day. And Mm -hmm. I was like, no, there's no way I'm putting this person in your company. And and she was like, but we just spent all these hours and blah, 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 Maybe it'll work out. I'm like, no, not worth it. It's like the likelihood of hers. This is also the thing. She might've been fine. The likelihood is not high. And this is what you're going for with humans is what is the likelihood based on the past you know, people don't necessarily change but like yeah. in those ways. So if yeah. they've shown these patterns in the last three roles consistently, they're very likely to show it again. So I refused. Um, so yeah, we are a marketer and we are a screener and we tell you ways not to, why you shouldn't hire people at the same time. It's yeah. Different.
0: It's, it's actually really refreshing hearing you talk about it. I often have um, leaders who uh, want coaching around I'm ready to move on to the next role and I'm looking for something or I'm I'm not happy in my current role and um you know one of the things that I work with them on is make sure you're not running from your current role um, for you to be in the most hireable position you need to be facing forward and knowing what it is you want and and know what baggage that you're bringing and actually mm. even know that you've got some things to work on before you leave the current organization and move into the next. And it really aligns with what you're saying is we can move away from a role because it's not giving us what we want, but we don't understand how we contribute to that. Mm. So if I can work on what it is that's contributing to the patterns that keep coming up role after role, then I can resolve that and then, and then step into the next role going, yeah, I know all of my, I know all of the things that kept coming up and I've been working with a coach on that and I've, I've resolved some of that. And then, you know, then you're ready for the next role. So it's really interesting to kind of see how that aligns with your process.
1: I love that because you're also making them responsible. And I think it's important that we look at the responsibility of both employer and candidates. Cause you know, clients tell me, you yeah, know, there's a lot of shit stuff out there, Marty and stuff. don't right? And I'm like, yeah, okay. But do you know how many shit owners there are out there? Do you know how many terrible employees there are out there? Do you know? Cause we do audits, right? And we ask about 40 different questions to get averages. Like 98% of your team said that you're the best employer to work for, or 50% of your team said that there's a toxic person in the company or whatever. And one of them is, um, have you been promised something you have not yet received? Do you know how many staff have been promised something they have not yet received? And it's funny. Cause we take that information back to the owner. It's like 35% of your staff. That's one in three said that you have promised something. And then we also give all the detail. Our team audits are not anonymous. Otherwise you can't fix anything. And we tell the staff that. So they might say, oh, they offered me profit share. And they're like, no, I didn't. And it's like, when did you tell me? You probably told them in passing, walking down a hallway or at a party sometime. And we were just in a good mood. And you were like, yeah, I'm going to give a profit share. And then they're sitting there with this idea for two years and then thinking this is a, you know, and it deteriorates. So it's like, it's very easy to point at, at, can- at candidates and staff, but employers have to also look at their own, look at themselves. And that's why being honest, like people are attracted to honest roles where you say this is a really unorganized role you are going to need to come in and organize it because i have no idea how to do it do you know how many people would read that and go yes that's exactly what i want or you you might say this is so organized it's already um, established your job is to maintain it beautifully you're the type of person you do not deter from the successful way to do something you love maintaining that and so you've got to speak to the truth of it otherwise we're all just liars and a lot of recruiting is lies and so is normal recruiters. I'm sorry. I don't want to necessarily bang on them all the time, but they sell these, they sell these roles and companies to candidates and they, they sell all the, all the good things. They don't necessarily talk about the bad things and they sell the candidate to the client, not really knowing them and go, this person's amazing. Why? Cause they've been in a role for three years. I consulted a company that had a GM in there for five years and he was losing a million dollars a week. Being in a role for a certain amount of time means nothing in terms of how effective you are. Mm. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's just important. I, I love that push that you have for candidates, where you also get them to look at themselves and go, "Are you just running from this thing?" And what I think that's a very responsible and needed way to look at it. Yeah.
0: Well, because inevitably, if you don't resolve it, it's going to follow you there, and then it's correct sad for you, but it's sad for the employer. If you can resolve it, um, then it's it's good for all. Um, which is that's right. I agree. Yeah. So. I agree. I want to know, <laughs> you do an audit, you come up with 32% of people say, employer employees saying that um, yep. they've been made a promise that's been broken. How do you write that into an ad?
1: Hmm. There are some things that we won't necessarily write specifically. Um, it depends what we want to focus on. It depends on the role. So, for example, if the role's a GM, we were very, like we wrote a GM role, Um For a client who 100% of the staff labeled the previous GM toxic. Now, you got to understand if that happens, we choose whether we want to work with them or not because we can't hire for companies that staff don't love, right? So they wanted us to hire an ops manager under the GM and we were like, no. So for the last year, they've been asking us to hire for them. We also have, by the way, I have two brands. I have TalentX and EducateX. EducateX has management and leadership training in it and that's where we were also working with them so we were still working with them over the last year right but my sister who's my my business partner she runs the main part of TalentX she refused to hire for them she's like there's no way I'm putting someone under this GM until recently when the owner said, I want to move the GM into a different role, like move the, she, she, anyway, it ended up working well that she was going part-time and she just wanted her and some strategy stuff and I need to hire a GM. So if the, if the team, if 100% of the team label, the company is toxic, I'll hire them a GM because that fixes it, but I'm not going to hire the GM another junior to then add to that number of people who feel they're toxic, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So the way that we would write the ad for a GM and the way that we did write it, was something like, you know, it is a very organized company. It has It's an incredible business in terms of its um, ability and its potential and its current um, growth. It's actually a great company, um, but it has cultural issues and um, the last GM is too tough for the team because, honestly, the GM had a lot of good things about her as well. She wasn't like just this, you know, piece of shit. She was actually really great at so many things. She just was not culturally driven. Um and so we were very honest about the culture. We said your main focus is pulling the team along and repairing some, some past upsets and and things so that the team can heal and actually grow together as a business. And you you don't you do not need to come in and change and build systems because this is the other thing. There are different types of people. Some people love repetitive routine work, and some people love a challenge. So if you get someone who loves a challenge, who wants to change everything, don't put them in a company where you've already organized everything because they will change everything so we also speak to that we say you don't you don't need to create new things but you need to focus on the culture and the team environment because it has not been very good and we've had staff leave because of it we did a team audit so but I wouldn't say that for like a graduate you see Mm -hmm. so it also depends on the role how much information you give and what's important to give to so it does depend but we we are as honest as we can be because they're going to find out anyway, like mm-hmm. why, why are you not writing it in there? They're going to be more upset later, which just affects your quote unquote employer brand even worse because now you've just lied to them. And then they're all the for three months. They go, this is not what I thought it would be. And then you're just like every other employer. Like it's, you know, if you want to demand that these candidates are honest, hardworking experience, you've got to be honest, hardworking, and you got to, you got to show who you want. Mm, yeah.
0: I love it. I love that you do the audit. And um I imagine that kind of aligns to your success rate and the 12-month guarantee, retention guarantee. I have not ever heard of a recruiter saying, well, there's a 12-month retention guarantee. On that, how do you like what's the caveat? If you're is there some responsibility around the hiring manager with that retention mm-hmm. guarantee? It's like, well. You, you actually need to live and breathe what you say. I don't know. I guess the audit would sure. read that out, right? So um, there's two things I'll say. I think I'm not sure
1: I wanted to correct the data that you said at the start because I'm not sure. I have to check where that came from. Our current success rate, I'll read it out to you, is 75.2%. So the way that we measure that is important because people, I go, why should people listen to me and what does the success rate mean? Hiring successes often mean like placements. Like if I get 10 jobs and I place nine of them, that's a 90%. That's not this. So we we classify a, a success rate as a candidate who stayed 12 months or more, meets or exceeds role expectations and does not cause cultural or interpersonal upsets. So we have like long-term relationships with our clients where we track these things. Also, because of our replacement structure, we know they meet or exceed role expectations because they would just replace them because they have us there to replace them, if you get what I'm saying. So... Um, that's what classifies as so 75% of the people we play, say 12 months or more, meet expect meet or exceed role expectations. Now, is that high? I have no idea. Is that good? I don't know because I have scoured the internet for other other hiring success rates based on this recruiters are not, do not measure themselves on this. And even if they did, I don't think they would car- criteria it the same way as us. And I don't think it would be 12 months. So as far as I know, like we might have the best success rate on the planet. I don't even know. So when people are like, is that good? I'm like, I don't know. 75% to me sounds terrible. Cause I'm such a perfectionist. I'm like, why is this not 99%? But at the same time you're dealing with human beings and who else can say that you have a 75% chance of this person working out and being really good at their job. I mean, I think when you look, put it in that perspective, it's good, but um, in terms of Um, your question, which was the retention structure. So we initially started out with a full 12 month, like we replaced it for free, no matter what we've now adjusted depending on the role. So the, the higher the role, the more retention we give. And then also we have like a tiered structure where within three months we replace for free within six months, we give, we replace them for 25% of the fee within nine months, 50% of the fee within 12 months, 75% of the fee or something like that in saying that if they're ever toxic or, um, terrible or we find out that they stole a client or anything like that we replace them for free if a client called me and said you hired me someone that ended up half my team left or whatever i'd be like oh my lord oh my lord let me replace this for free (laughs) so it just depends as well there are some there are some um adjustments for that and we also have caveats like we list out unless they left if they leave within 12 months because you changed the role we had another client a candidate left who was great who was given actually three roles so they were given three different jobs when they applied for one, or you, or they were made redundant, or you know. So there, there are caveats, things like that. But yeah, I'm not going to replace them if if you are the reason why they're gone. Um, but we are very fair, and we're very, um, we take our success rate very seriously. But we also we love our clients so much that the thought of putting some like a like someone in a company that's not good for them makes like there are times where me and Marty have cried because I like there was this one time I was. Talking to a HR manager for one of our clients, and I was like, "This person's terrible. Like, we she was just, she was awful." And I was like, "We need to hire this role for for this client because she's terrible." And then I find out we hired her, and I was like, "I was like, what?" So I did this big audit with her files. Like, how the hell did she get through? I found out she didn't actually pass her personality profile. She didn't pass ref checks, but she got, got sent through. So one of the staff just put her through. And then, you know, my sister at the time didn't catch her. this. Was quite early on, so I called the client, and I was like okay, I've hired you someone I would never let in your company. You need to let me replace her. And he's like, lol, which co- which recruiter would call and be like, let me replace this person for free. And he was like, no, she's going okay. Let me keep it. I was like, this is exactly what's going to happen. Let me list out what's going to happen with this person. I listed out all my predictions with her. And within two, two weeks, he called me. He's like, oh, my God, money, she started everything you said, she started doing like people started having little arguments and like disagreements and like, this is exactly what she's going to do. Um, and then I replaced for free. I was like, look, if you never want to use me again, it's okay. Because I know that we just, you know, you've wasted all this time hiring her, firing her. And he's like, look, it makes me want to use you even more because you're so honest. And, and we, I cried. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I'm like the worst person ever putting this person. So we're very, that's why we try to go what's fair and what's not. And we initially did 12 month free replacement no matter what, but I actually realized that's not fair. On us, it's not not fair. Like there are so many other factors. That's why we adjusted it. Mm. So we're trying to create a really fair approach. What is a recruiter actually responsible for? I'm responsible for giving you a really good person. That's my job. So if I if I don't do that, I need to replace them for free. That's that's if if I give you a good person and then you don't train them and you don't onboard them and you don't you don't you don't you don't. That's not my fault. I gave you someone great. So I think there's just more to say around the actual accountability for recruiters and what they're accountable for. And I think. Um, that's, that's also a big message I'm trying to push is I don't think any person should ever accept for a recruiter that's not willing to do that.
0: I love that. You, you <laughs> absolutely, you know, coming in, I was thinking, what what kind of unique approach could you possibly have? Um, it's recruitment and um you definitely exactly <laughs> <the> conversation <laughs> demonstrated, yeah, there's there's a lot of differences. And you know, I think one comes down to the integrity that you actually bring in your approach to what you do. You can hear the passion in your voice, you can hear, you know, it's the it's not just what I'm saying, I back it up with what I'm doing. And so from a leadership perspective, um, you know, you build confidence with the people that you're working with because you demonstrate that and you live and breathe it yourself. So um mm. it's That's so lovely. great. Thank you. <laughs> it's actually a really refreshing
1: oh, the, conversation. Because the horror stories of recruiters, like sometimes I just I like when people ask, what do you do? I'm like, like I try to like, you know, I just, I, it's not, it's, it's, and look, recruiting recruitment is really hard. I will say mm-hmm. that. And there's, there are lots of jobs that we don't do that. I'm like, thank God other recruiters do this. And there are things that um I'm not, I'm, I don't think well, I have also friends that are recruiters and they're, they're great people. So it's not all recruiters, but it's just, it's flawed, especially when you look at just the, just the fees alone. It's, it's, it is if you Google the definition of a conflict of interest, That is recruitment. It is a conflict of interest for me to put forward to you an expensive person because I know I'm going to get paid more. Mm. And so it's like it's such a flaw that I I feel like all business owners should demand fixed fees. So we might do a rough percentage at the start. Say you want to hire someone for hundred grand, our rough percentage is, you know, okay, we'll quote you for this. But if you hire someone for less or more, we don't change our fees and that's what you pay for. Um, And it's just such a problem because I feel like it's a big reason why all the Pricings are being jacked up across different salaries and wages because they also they poach a lot of recruiters. Their main approach is poaching and people neglect to realize that when you poach a candidate, they're thereafter poachable. They're thereafter poachable. Whereas if you are putting out a job and you're saying this is the role, they're, they're attracted for a different reason. The first question that always comes every time I tried to poach someone when I started out was like, what's the money? like that. Why else would I move? What's the money? Unless they're super, super unhappy, which is not that common. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, I think there's just a lot to say around the, the accountability, the fee structure, the conflict of interest that is recruitment, because it's just, it doesn't work. And I don't, I actually don't know why companies actually do know why companies pay so much for, for this process that by the way, it's the exact same as theirs. They still use the same preconceived ideas. They still don't have their own, they, like recruiters are not immune to these problems of hiring. they perpetuate them. So I know that the only reason why people do is they want it off their plate. And to be fair, a lot of recruiters do specialize in specific fields where they have databases of people where they can target just those people. They have pools Mm. of people. They're the two benefits is that it takes the time off your plate and you're likely to get maybe someone who has the skill set and the, you know, quote unquote experience, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be good at a role. It just means that they look good on paper. So yeah, I I totally agree. (laughs) And that's why I love what I do. I think it's, there's a lot to say about hiring and there's, I just see a lot of owners, which I feel be bamboozled and I I feel for them. And I, I see there how much, like one client's like, yeah, I paid 20 grand for a candidate and after seven months they left and I can't do anything. Another person said last week, yeah, they didn't work out within three months and I've asked the recruiter to replace them, but they've been taking their time because they don't get paid for it. So they haven't even given me one candidate and it's been like three weeks and I know they're just not doing it because I'm not paying them for it. Now, again, it's not all recruiters, but. Yeah, just the the care and passion. Like I challenge any recruiter, like please come at me. Like if you have a 12 month more retention rate, you meet or exceed role expectations and you have a hiring success rate, I want to know what it is because if my 75% is low, I want to look at how I can improve it. I have no idea, I have no reference point of how good my hiring success rate. It just it sounds like it is, you know, technically it's the only one I can find ever on the on the internet, but I have mm-hmm. no idea.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm. I think um it's fair to say you are disrupting. <laughs> recruitment and taking it from the, um, I bought a lemon from the used car sale <laughs> um, to the, yeah, you know, what you, what you see is what you get. And, um, you know, the conversation that I've had with you today, actually, as a, you know, I'm thinking as a leader, if I was dealing with a recruiter like you, I'd go, oh, shit, I actually need to pull my finger out and take as much interest and care in my recruitment strategy mm. as what the recruiter is. Um, and you know, there's, I don't know, I, w- I feel like I'd be inspired to go, well, yeah, let's work on these avatars. Let's work on all the, the different hiring profiles and, and things for the role. I love it- you use the word avatar, by the way, we use the word archetype, the
1: hiring archetype. Oh, I love beautiful. your word avatar. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. different archetypes that could fit the role. Yeah. It's yeah.
0: Great. I just think that's such a great approach. Um, but Thank you so much for having the chat with us. I was going to ask you about your processes, but I don't think it really matters. Um, There's, I think there's definitely a fit for you with the people, um, the organizations that are wanting to get the right people in the right role for the right reason. And um, yeah, I, I wish you all the success in your business. I think it's amazing. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you. That means a lot. You're lovely. Thank you. And thank you everyone for uh, listening. If you're wanting information on Marnie and TalentX and what they do, I will include that in the description. So please reach out if you want to connect with her. Uh, But thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to another Dynamic Leader conversation with you all soon. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over hundred businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.